But uh, good morning. Right, I'd like to read, if I may, a few verses from Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, and I'll start at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your house this morning and to gather around your word. And we ask, Lord, as always, that your Holy Spirit will be present amongst us. Open our eyes, Lord, to open our understanding. That each one of us, Lord, can draw closer to you through your word. In your precious name, amen. Now, As you know, in the last few weeks, we've been following a book called Streams of Living Water by Richard J. Foster. And in that, he talks about different dimensions of faith and practice that define Christian tradition. And he goes on to say how all of these separate streams, if you like, should be present in the lives of Christians. And in prior weeks, we've looked at the contemplative tradition. We've looked at the holiness tradition, the charismatic tradition, social justice, the evangelical tradition. And today, we're looking at the incarnational tradition. And uh, and Peter asked me if I would speak on this subject this morning. I, uh, I had to put a, quite a bit of work in to properly, properly understand what the incarnational tradition is. What is the incarnational life? What does that mean to us as Christians? Now, it's nothing to do with condensed milk, which uh, for some reason, you know, things get in your head. Whenever I hear that word, I think of condensed milk, so I apologize. But I can assure you, it's nothing to do with condensed milk. The... What the incarnational tradition is talking about 
is incarnation. To be incarnate means to be embodied in the flesh. So Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus was God come down and made flesh to live and dwell amongst us. So yes, Jesus is God, but he also was a man, he's a human being as we were. So that is what is meant by incarnational. It's something that is embodied in the flesh. And essentially, if we are to respect the incarnational life, if the incarnational life as one of these traditions of Christian faith and practice, if that is to be evident in our lives, what it means, essentially, as Christians, is that our spiritual life should not be lived over here, while our day-to-day, everyday life is lived over here. That is the absolute antithesis of the incarnational life. The incarnational life says that our spiritual life should be embodied in our day-to-day life and the things that we're doing. Hands up, anybody, if on your way to church this morning, you jumped into a phone box. Actually, we don't have phone boxes anymore. Or you, you stopped and went into a closet and put on a red cape and slipped some red underpants over your blue tights. I'd be very surprised if any of you did that this morning. But that was, that's Superman. That's what Superman did. And essentially, that, that idea that is embodied in all of the Superman movies, again, is the exact opposite of what we need to understand to be the incarnational life. Because you see, Superman during the day, during the, the, the weekly day today, was, was Clark Kent. And then he said Clark Gable, but I'm sure he wasn't Clark Gable. He was boring old Clark Kent. And really, what he did when he was Clark Kent wasn't interesting. The movie wasn't interested in that. Where the movie got interested was when the situation demanded it, he would suddenly jump into a phone box and transform himself into Superman. And so what we need to understand this morning, if we're going to understand what the incarnational life means, it means that we must not be Christian superheroes who don our cloak when we come to church who go through Monday through Saturday in the, in the minute detail, the, the day-to-day grind of our lives, if you like, and we do that and we deal with all of the challenges we face at work or with family or with finances or in school or whatever it is, and during Monday to Saturday, we're battling away doing all of those things and we're one persona, and then on Sunday, we put on our, our superhero cloak and we come to church and we sing and we praise and we pray. That is not what we should be doing as Christians. This tradition of an incarnational life, which started with Jesus being made flesh, is that we need to be our same spiritual selves all of the time, in all of the the little nitty-gritty day-to-day things that we do in our lives. That's where our spirituality and our Christianity and our faith and our witness, that's where that all needs to be coming out. You see, Paul used to write, there used to be a heresy that abounded that said that your relationship with God is all about you praising God and you worshipping God. It takes place in an ethereal plane. It's nothing to do with the day-to-day. 
And that heresy held that because of that, it doesn't matter what you do in your life. It doesn't matter what things you get up to or what you do. None of, none of the humanity, none of the human things are important, this heresy said. All that was important was, you know, as I say, on a kind of an abstract, ethereal sense, was, yes, I believe in God, and, and that's what's important. And so all of the stuff around me doesn't matter. And Paul was constantly writing against that as a heresy. That's a heresy because Christianity is about God being made flesh. It's about God coming down into the world. And you can trace back, even if you go back into the very beginning of the Bible, where, God talks, where, where the Bible talks about how God created everything in the heavens and the earth. Just go through chapter 1 of Genesis, read the things that God created, Count up the number of times it says, and God saw it, and saw that it was good. God was pleased with his creation. He was pleased with the things that he had created. So God, our Christ Christianity is about God being interested in us on our day-to-day -day human level. The passage that, we, that I read I could have chosen a number of passages, but this was a passage that the author of the book picked out when I was reading about this, and it, and it spoke to me because it describes how when the Israelites had come out of Egypt and before they get to the Promised Land, God had been speaking to Moses, and he'd said, I want you to create a tent of tabernacle, and I want you to create an altar. And he, he had him create the Ark of the Covenant. And then it goes into the details that we saw. I want beautiful basins. I want the priest's robes to be beautiful robes. You see, why is that? God didn't need necessarily to have all of these things. But he instructed Moses, I want all of this done in a specific way. I'm interested in the human detail. And he goes into enormous detail about how things are to be fashioned and how things are to be made. And Moses is perhaps, as he's taking notes and he's writing this down, Moses may have been thinking, my goodness, I, I, can't, I can't fashion a gold basin. I can't, I can't weave beautiful garments for the priests. But then God says to him, no, I have filled a man called Bezalel. I filled him with the Spirit says that in the passage we've read. I filled him with the Holy Spirit. And why have I filled him with the Holy Spirit? So that he can pray, so that he can sing, so that he can worship? No, I filled him with the Holy Spirit so that he has got all of the skills that you now need to have at your disposal in order to create the things that I have asked you to create. So God provides. He, it's very, very clear here that Bezalel was, didn't come into the picture and his assistant Aholiab because he was a well-known craftsman. He may have done this before, but the Bible makes it absolutely clear that he was given the ability to fashion these beautiful things. He was given that ability by God. And God wanted him to use that ability to create these things that would be important to the way in which the Jews worshipped. It's a wonderful picture of what the incarnational life is. That in practical terms, these things had to be created, so God gave the ability to somebody to create them. Paul touched on this in 2 Corinthians 4. Let me see if I can just turn to that if you hang on one second. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians, 
It's an English thing to say 2 Corinthians, and Helen Sosby always pulls me up on it. She says, why do you say 2 Corinthians and not 2 Corinthians? I said, because I've been doing it since I was about 12. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's see, verse... Let me see. Let's go to verse... For the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ and as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Here we are, verse 6. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Paul says this wonderful light that God has put in our lives, we have this treasure, it's a treasure but it's in earthen vessels. It's in vessels of clay. In other words, it's put into human beings. It's put into people like you and people like me. When we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and it's put in us so that as we go through our day-to-day humdrum lives, It is reflecting out and it's influencing the people that we work with, our family, the people we bump into into the grocery store. Everybody we interact with, we should be reflecting God's love and God's glory out to them. That's what it means, what the incarnational life means. It means that we have to live out our day-to-day Christianity, day-to-day, not just on a Sunday. God should be present in all of the tiny details in our day-to-day lives. Let's think of a couple of examples of how that should practically manifest itself. Well, one is that he gives us the skills that we need in our day-to-day lives. Whatever tomorrow involves for you, whether it's working, going to work, whether it's working from home, whether it's looking after your family, uh, providing food, whatever for your family, whatever, whatever tomorrow involves for you, God, this say, God is, wants to give us the skills to help us get through whatever it is we have to do tomorrow. And the Bible's clear about that. We've seen that in, uh, in the passage we read in Exodus. God wanted, God's objective was that these beautiful objects would be created. His objective was that these beautiful garments for the priests would be fabricated. So God then provides people and fills them with the Spirit to give them the skills to deliver what he wanted. 
In a sense, if we live close enough to God, and that's the thing, that's the thing, that's the other part of this incarnational life. If we live closely with God, so we're in tune with him, we can hear him, we can listen to the Holy Spirit, then he will be giving us the, the, the skills, the abilities, the discernment, the judgment, the inspiration. He will give to us everything we need to be successful in what faces us tomorrow. He gives us the skills that we need. We see that again in John chapter 21, when Jesus, after Jesus was crucified and he rose again, remember the disciples had gone fishing and he was, he, he was on the shore of the lake. And they'd been out fishing, because fishing is what they knew, and they'd gone out fishing and they'd fished all night and they hadn't caught anything. And then Jesus says, go back out and cast your net out again. Now, as fishermen who've just fished all night, based on their years of experience as fishermen, that would have seemed a crazy thing to do, to go back and try again. But they did what he said. They went back out and tried again. And guess what? They caught so many fish that the net broke. So whatever your job is, whatever your role is, whatever your challenge is tomorrow, whatever you're going to be tomorrow, whoever you're going to see tomorrow, whatever you need to do tomorrow, if, you can, if we can live close enough to God to let him communicate with us and lead us and direct us, he will bless us tomorrow. He can bless us in areas where we think we know everything. Anybody who's anxious or struggling or worried about something they've got to do tomorrow, take comfort from this. Because if you give tomorrow to God and ask him to intervene and act in your life, he will. He gives us the skills that we need. You see, Jesus, God, wants to bless us in the mundane. Now, in one sense, if we grasp this concept... No, no day in our lives will ever be mundane again. No day in our lives will ever be boring again. Because if we really understand this concept, it means that every day, wherever we go, however boring we think the day might be, however concerning we think the day might be, however worrying we think the day might be, if we properly understand that God is dwelling in us and he's with us tomorrow, not just here, he's with us tomorrow wherever we go in whatever situation and circumstance we find ourselves in tomorrow, whatever that is, whether it's a Zoom conference call with 26 people shouting at you or it's somebody who annoys you in the supermarket, whatever, whatever the situation is, if we grasp this concept, he will be bless us in the mundane. He will bless us in the day-to-day -day of our lives. That's why the title of this is God wants to be, well actually, the, the, the title is God is in the detail. We need to allow him in and he will be in the detail. He wants to, he wants to give us the skills that we need. He wants us, he wants to bless us in the mundane. And here's the thing. He wants us to be proud of what we do. Now you say, pride is a bad thing. Yes, you're correct. Pride is never a good thing. And so, but what I say is he wants us to be proud of what, we, of what we do. It's really that he doesn't want us to be ashamed of what we do. He doesn't want to be, us to be embarrassed about what we do. 
Sometimes, because of the way life is, because of the way this world is, because of this influencer-led world, where there's so much artificiality, and, and people seem to be doing so well, doing things that are so, so, so worthless in many ways, sometimes, as a Christian, you can feel brought low by this. You can look out at the world and think, you know, I've, all these people doing all of these things, and tomorrow I've got to go and do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and then on Tuesday, I've got to get up and I've got to do the same things again, morning through evening, and then I'll get something to eat and I'll go to bed and I've got to get up again Wednesday and I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And sometimes, something inside us starts to get a bit bitter and a bit defeated and a bit depressed and a bit annoyed. I don't, I don't want to keep showing up and doing this and putting all these hours in, and spending all my time working so hard, doing something I don't like. And it can start to bring us low. But if we're close enough to God, and we understand that we are where he wants us to be, if we feel we're not, then we take it to him and we pray, and Lord, if you want me to do something else, go somewhere else, make it clear to me, open the door, make it clear, and I'll do that. But if you're confident God has got his hand on your life, he's got his hand on my life, then tomorrow, everywhere we go tomorrow, we're doing something that's important for him. And it doesn't matter what other people think. One of the stories in the Bible that came to mind when I was thinking about this was that story of Martha and Mary, and the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples went through the town that they lived in. And it says, Martha opened up her home to them. And the story then switches to how Mary, Martha's sister, sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him teaching. And after a while, Martha comes in and says, Lord, could you tell my sister to come and help me? Because she's sitting here having a great time listening to you, and I'm rushing around here doing all this work, trying to get everything ready, trying to feed all these people. Because it was Jesus and his disciples, and she'd opened their, her home to them. So she's going to feed them and look after them. So she is working so hard. And while she's working so hard, she catches sight of her sister who's sitting there as it appears to be doing nothing, listening to Jesus. And Martha gets upset by that. But the thing is, Jesus was only able to minister to Mary because Martha had opened her house. And Martha had taken it upon herself to do all of that hard work. And Martha had seated everybody and fed everybody and made sure everybody had got everything they needed. Martha had basically, through an enormous amount of hard work, had facilitated that whole thing, which allowed Jesus to bless Mary. It allowed the disciples to rest from their journey and to take on nourishment and, refresh and refreshment. But in the heat of the moment, Martha lost sight of all of this because she looked to see what somebody else was doing and she made a superficial comparison and said, well, that's a much better job sitting there listening than rushing about cooking this and doing this and trying to get everything else organized. But when we look back a couple of thousand years or whatever it is later, we can see that what Martha did was so important. It was so important. It was hard work. She perhaps didn't get the credit she, she, she should have got. Perhaps people didn't appreciate her. 
Perhaps they didn't realize how hard she'd worked. All of those things might be true. How many of us have felt, you know what, people don't appreciate all that I do. People take me for granted. I always show up, I always volunteer, I always put the hours in. Other people don't. But you see, to properly understand the incarnational life, if God is dwelling in us, and he's got his hand on our lives, and we are working and doing something for him, it doesn't matter what other people think or what other people are doing, because if you're working hard in your job, and nobody cares, and nobody values you, and nobody takes you seriously, and people seem to take you for granted. It doesn't matter, because God loves you, God sees where you are, God knows what you're doing, and he's blessing you, and he's thanking you for that. Look at our own church. There's so many ministries that have continued in this church during unbelievably difficult times. I can't, there's probably not been many pastors in the history of Christianity who've walked into such a perfect storm as Peter did when he took over as pastor of this church. Walking straight into a pandemic and everything at the close and being able to navigate. But what, a, what an amazing job he's done to lead us through that. And look at all of the ministries in the church we have that have still managed to find a way to survive and to thrive, like the children's ministry, the youth with Edgar, you know, the homeless program, the ladies who work tirelessly in the homeless program. And it's hard work, and it's not easy, and they probably need more help, and some of them have been doing it for years and years. And sometimes you can begin to get lost in that and think, well, you know, I, I just do all of this. But the thing is, that is living out the incarnational life. That is making sure that in the things we do day to day, we're working hard. And although people might not give us the credit, it doesn't matter because God knows and we can see as Martha facilitated that whole thing. So everybody who works in any tiny part of the ministry is facilitating the blessing of the entire congregation. Let's give Pastor Peter and everybody involved in the ministry in this church a round of applause. So if you do at any point feel that you're not appreciated, you're not loved, people don't understand what you're doing, they don't give you enough credit, God does. And he's happy and he's proud that you're doing what you're doing. Nobody, no Christian, here's a bold statement, no Christian should ever feel ashamed or embarrassed about how they get through life on a day-to-day basis. Because it doesn't matter what the world thinks, and it doesn't matter what other people say. What matters is our relationship with God, and he knows where we are, and he's blessing us, and he has a ministry for us, which, which the hymn, that little light of mine, you know, it's so funny how things work together. I couldn't have imagined before, beforehand, that, that wouldn't have been a hymn that came to mind for me as being relevant to what I'm trying to say. But it is so relevant, because one of the lines was, this little mine... Jesus gave it to me, and what? I'm going to hide it in my coat and bring it out on Sunday. No, Jesus gave it to me. I'm going to let it shine. And that's what 
we all, God is waiting for us to do tomorrow, wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever situation we're in, whoever we encounter, that's the opportunity to let God's love and light filter out and affect the people that we encounter. What we do is important. No matter how many times the world might say that what you do is not important, I'm telling you now, it is important. God loves you, God has a plan for your life, and what you do and how you spend your time tomorrow is important. The Bible is full of little stories about how people stepped up and performed a task. And we won't, there's too much, I don't have time to go through them, but Paul, one that always comes back to me is when Paul, on the road to Damascus, had that encounter with God, and he was rendered blind, and he was led, and he, and he went, and God said to a, to a man called Ananias, and we don't come across Ananias again. All we know is Ananias lived in Damascus and that he was a Christian. And God said, I need you to go to the street called Straight and I need you to go into this particular house and there's a man there called Saul of Tarsus and I want to lay, you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And he did it. That's what he did. He got up. He probably was frightened to death because Saul of Tarsus was known as being an implacable enemy of the church. But he went and he laid hands on Paul and prayed for Paul. Why did God need him to do that? I don't know. But God asked him to do it. He did it. And then look at what Paul achieved. Look at the blessings that God gave to the world and to us through Paul. Yet Ananias, who nobody really talks about, he played an important role in that. So we could do something that seems insignificant. We could say something to somebody, encourage somebody. We have no, literally no idea how far the ripples of that act can spread in terms of blessing people. He provides the skills that we need. He wants to bless us in the mundane. He wants us to be proud of what we do and to stand and be proud and not be put off by what other people might say. Because what we do is important. And then the last two things quickly. He wants us to show, to exhibit faith in our day-to-day -day lives. Faith. Because sometimes in his plan, we may be required to do things or enter a, a period of, where we don't really understand <clears throat> why he's doing what he's doing. The story I love is when Jesus was asked to pay money for, he had to provide money to pay his taxes. Nothing, one of the two things certain in this world, death and taxes. Jesus was asked to pay his tax. So what does he do? He sends one of the disciples, he, I mean, Jesus, Jesus was, he could have reached into his pocket and produced the tax, but no, he said to one of the disciples, I don't know if it was Peter, I can't remember, go down to the shoreline, reach in, grab the first fish that you find, and open its mouth, and the tax will be in the fish's mouth. It'd be great if we could all do that, wouldn't it? <clears throat> could all be down on the pier at Redondo at tax time, grabbing fish. But you think to yourself, well, why? Why? You know? Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to go down to the, and catch a fish and open its mouth? Other people may have looked at him and thinking, this guy's crazy. What's he doing? But 
The simple fact was that's what God wanted him to do and he exercised faith and he went and did it. It's a similar again when they wanted to prepare for the Passover and Jesus said to two of the disciples, go up here, you'll find a colt that nobody's ridden on, you know, blah, 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 no, you'll find, whatever, you'll find, he gave them a series of instructions about what to do. Again, why did he have to do that? Because he requires us sometimes to step out in faith. He requires us sometimes to just hang on and keep putting one foot in front of the other because he's got a plan for our lives. And sometimes we look at it and say, well, hang on, why? that's all a bit complicated. Why can't I do this and this and this? Because that's my plan, not your plan. So if you're unsure, if you're unsure about guidance or where you should be or what, sh- what you should be doing, don't stress about it. Pray about it. But keep doing what you're doing while you're praying about it. Oswald Chambers summed this up. He said, if you're in a situation where you're looking for guidance, he said, just trust God and do the next thing, whatever the next thing might be. And lastly, persistence in our day-to-day lives. Persistence. Because if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you read on from verse 6, where I read we have treasures in earthen vessels, he goes on to say, for this reason, we might be perplexed, but we're not cast down. And he talks about all of the buffeting that he's had. And he, Paul is basically saying, because I have this treasure in this earthen vessel, I don't care what the world throws at me. If it knocks me down, I'll get back up. I might be battered and I might be bruised, but I'm still in the fight and I'm still moving forward. And so that should be, for us, a huge encouragement That, you know, we don't get saved, struggle through life, go to heaven. It's that that peace between accepting Christ and going to heaven, which is our day-to-day lives. That should be exciting. So, to summarize and close, Monday morning is looming. Monday morning should be exciting because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who God's going to bring into our lives. We don't know how we may influence people with what we do, what we say, how we act. The sacramental life means God wants to come down and be involved in everything we do every single minute of every single day. And that should be exciting. Christians should be excited people looking forward to what God has for them in the days that lie ahead. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you love us so much, Lord, and you want to be involved in every single thing that we do. And Lord, we just pray you would help us to begin to just gain a bit of an understanding of that, Lord. To not get up tomorrow morning and slip into a feeling of mundanity, Lord, of boredom, of repetition, but to see tomorrow, Lord, as an opportunity to be a witness to you, to see tomorrow, Lord, as an exciting day where we're going to see you giving us, Lord, the skills that we need. We're seeing you, Lord, valuing the things that we do. We pray, Lord, you'd engage us, every single one of us, Lord, that we would look upon our lives as an exciting tapestry, Lord, an exciting canvas on which we, Lord, are going to create the beautiful picture that you want us to create. In your precious name, amen.